Uh, the first reading is uh, Luke 15, 1 to 24. 1093, if you picked up one of these, on the way in. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the, of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Second reading is from Romans 8, chapter... Uh, Romans chapter 8, sorry, uh, verse 15 to 17. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father... The Spirit himself teaches us, uh, testifies with our spirit, that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. God is truly the world's greatest dad. I used to think that God was like a father. That it was a metaphor, a simile. You know, I'm a real father with real children. And God, well, let's try and describe what he's like. He's like a father. 
And then I realized that was ridiculous. I mean, who came first, me or God? God is the original father. And does he have a son, a child? Yes. He is the original father. He is a real father. And every other father is a takeoff from him. Do you see? He is the original father. And boy, does he love his son. He is the world's greatest dad. We, contrary to popular belief, are not actually naturally children of God. What are we as human beings? We are just creatures, rebellious creatures at that, who have rejected the Creator. And yet this world's greatest dad, who already was fully satisfied in his loved son, chose us. And he sent his son to serve to give his life as a ransom for us, to pay for sin, to set us free, to forgive us, yes, but more than that, to adopt us as his children. John 1 says he gave us the right to become children of God. If you're someone who has faith in Jesus, you are a child of God. But did you know it's more than that? It's not just that we are children of God, according to the Bible. Have a look at the Bible verse there. I printed in the outline there tonight, the key Bible verses for us. Who are we if we have faith in Christ Jesus? You are all sons of God. Now, this seems natural enough, uh, as long as you're a bloke. But for a woman who's a Christian, this does seem rather strange, doesn't it? I know some of you might be looking at your new, new NIVs, especially on your phone, and it probably says children. But the word is sons. I checked it. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Whether you're a man or a woman, you are a son of God. Now, as a woman, you might find this quite weird, quite bizarre. Why would you want to be like this? Uh, You might find this offensive. Would being a daughter of God not be good enough somehow? Well, just think about it for a moment. Why would you want to be a son? of God. Well, who has the ultimate relationship with God? It's the Son, isn't it? Wouldn't you want to have a relationship, a status and a relationship like Him? And in the ancient world, if you were hoping to inherit something from your father, who would you want to be? A daughter or a son? So now imagine for a moment if as Christians, women Christians, female Christians get to be daughters of God and male Christians get to be sons of God. What does that seem to communicate to women? That you are not like the son of God. That you don't have a relationship like him and that you are not going to inherit like him. No, this is actually a good thing if you can get your mind around it. You are all sons of God. This is an egalitarian thing, whether you're a male or female. If you have faith in Christ Jesus, you have a relationship with God like the Son. You have a status before God like the Son. 
and not just some legal status where you don't relate to him properly. No, he gives his spirit to men and women who are Christians so that they not only have this status before God, will not only inherit from God, but call him Father. God is truly the world's greatest dad. And if you're a Christian here tonight, he has chosen you to be his adopted son. Do you know this? Are you amazed by this? Amazed that you have the same status before God, the same inheritance before God as his son? Are you amazed that you get to call him father? It's Father's Day, isn't it? So we remember and we give thanks for our fathers. That's a joy for many of us. But for many of us, it's painful. Can you see this joy? That if you are a Christian, you are loved, chosen, he sent his son and adopted you as his son. There are many privileged children in the world, aren't there? Some people have fathers who are kings and get to be princes. Some people have fathers who are extraordinarily rich and have everything their hearts desire. Some people simply have fathers who are loving. Some people have fathers who are still alive. And we think, if only I had a dad like that. Well, you have the world's greatest dad who chose you, chose to adopt you and made you like his extraordinary son. Do you get that? Be thankful for that. Well, what's all this got to do with serving? Yes, it's Father's Day, so let's focus on God being the world's greatest father. But how does this relate to all the stuff we've been talking about serving? It seems to me that if you get this, that if you understand and appreciate that God has adopted you as his son and he is the world's greatest father, it totally changes why you serve and how you serve. I mean, how could you have the misery of serving the wrong God and think that you have to be good enough for him and pay him back when he's chosen you to be his adopted son? Why would you serve? Not to be good enough but because you're thankful. But you're so delighted to have been adopted and become his son and because you love him as your father. That's why you serve with great joy. Imagine for a moment that the prodigal son returns. He's been off in a far country. He's squandered all his inheritance. And he realizes, he comes to his senses that he, the only thing he can do is go back home and say that he's not worthy to be called the son of his father and ask his father to make him one of his servants. And imagine he trudges home and finally arrives back at the house and knocks on the door and the father comes to the door and he throws out his speech and the father says, too right. You're right about that. You don't have the right to be my son anymore. In fact, you've got to hide, even thinking you can come back. You want to be one of my servants? Well, you know where the quarters are. They're down the back. I'll see you at first light, and you better work hard. What would serving be like if that's how the story finished? It'd be filled with regret, with guilt, and with obligation. 
Instead, do you remember how the story goes? He comes to his senses. He realizes that he doesn't deserve to be a son any longer and he's going to ask his dad simply to make him a servant and he trudges back but his father sees him from a mile away, runs to him, throws his arms around him and the son pulls himself apart a bit, uh, gives out his little speech but he doesn't get to finish it and the son is just welcomed home. What would work be like the next day after the big party, do you reckon? Is it regret and guilt and obligation for now on? No way. He is so thankful to be welcomed back. He is so delighted to have a father like this and delighted to serve alongside him. When you know you've been adopted by your heavenly father, which you did not deserve for one moment, you are thankful You love your heavenly Father and you rejoice to serve him. Is that what it's like for you? Is that why you serve him? The other thing about why you'd serve when you know you've been adopted as a son is think about who are the people you are serving with. Who are the people when you're here at church or amongst Christians you are serving for? I mean, if you're an adopted son of the Heavenly Father and they are an adopted son of the Heavenly Father and neither of you deserved it, well, what does it make the two of you? Your family, your brothers and sisters, adopted brothers and sisters in this Heavenly Father. And so how do you think of of the other people involved here at church? Do you think of them as fellow members of your church, as fellow volunteers of your church? No. They're your brothers and sisters. What about some of us who who live in houses where at least some of the people are also adopted sons of our Heavenly Father? Maybe you're married to one of them, a child or a parent or a friend. Do they annoy you sometimes? Like the people at church annoy you as well? Do they let you down sometimes? Of course they do. But they are not just fellow members, not just fellow volunteers. They're not just members of your biological family. They are members. No, they are sons of your heavenly Father, your brothers and sisters in your heavenly family. So that's why you love. And serve them. Is there someone at the moment that you particularly find annoying? And it would really help to remember that they too are an adopted son and deserve it just as much as you do. And God has made them your brother or sister in his heavenly father and that's why you'd serve them. God has adopted us as his sons. He's the world's greatest dad who has adopted us. And that's why we serve, because we love him as our father and because our brothers and sisters are our brothers and sisters. And we want to serve them in our heavenly heavenly family. That's why we serve. Uh, What about how? What's it like to serve when you know you have a heavenly father and you're in his family? Well, does God need us to serve? 
Does he need us to do anything? Have a look at the next verse there on your outline. God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. God does not need us. He does not need you. His family business could simply be called God. Some of you might not realise, but in years past, when businesses could be rather small affairs, they were sometimes named after the person. You know, McGregor and Sons. Well, God wouldn't need that, would he? His business could simply be called God. He could do the whole box and dice himself. He doesn't need any employees. But because he loves his son, he shares it with his son. My father is always at his work and I too am working, says Jesus. The father loves the son and shows him all that he does. His business is not just called God. It is called God and son. And the two of them don't need anyone else. That's their family business. But the Father chose to adopt us as his sons. And he loves us to work with him. 2 Corinthians 5, we are God's co-workers. And so what is his family business called? It is not God. It's not God and son. It's God and sons. And you and I are in that little S at the end. And what a joy that is. It's his family business. And he shares it with us. Do you see what an amazing privilege that is? You and I are not just employees. We are not just volunteers. It's not even just that we are friends with the boss. We are sons of the boss in the family business. And unlike some family businesses that I really wouldn't want to be a part of, the Trump organization, for example, I don't want to be the son in that organization, we have got a good boss and a good father who's actually involved in the business. And so when you serve, some of the ways that you serve, do they seem mundane and unimportant and not special? Do you ever feel alone in your serving as if you're just slogging your heart out and nothing's being achieved? And if you stopped, nothing would happen. What do you need to remember? That it's not your business. That it's God's family business and it's a great privilege for you to be involved, for me to be involved. And that it's not you on your own even when only you are doing it. For God it's not often the Bahamas collecting the dividends each year because he owns the business. He's serving as well, isn't he? By his spirit, by his word. So you serve with joy, seeing it as a privilege. Not only do we serve in this family business with a heavenly father who's the boss of the business and actively serving, we get to talk to him. When Jesus' disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, do you remember what he said? Something extraordinarily radical. Start with this. Our Father in heaven. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you get a glimpse of how Jesus prays, don't you? Do you remember? He's about to serve as the son of his heavenly Father by ransoming many. And so he is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
So what does he do? He talks to his father, of course. And surprisingly, the Gospel writers actually record the language that Jesus probably spoke most of the time. Did he speak in Greek most of the time that the Gospels are written in? Of course not. Probably most of the time he's speaking in Aramaic. And so they they actually record the word. It's Abba, meaning Dad. Why do they do that? Because they want you to draw your attention and go, oh, that's the wrong language. What's that doing there? They want you to see what Jesus says there, not Father, which is what you would say outside the household, but dad. I've heard it said that this means daddy. I don't think it means daddy. Jesus is not a baby. He's not a small child. He's an adult talking to his father, and so he calls him dad. Isn't that extraordinary? And do you see here in the last verse on the sheet here, Paul, who's writing in Greek, and I don't think was going to speak in Aramaic that day, deliberately quotes Jesus. Do you see? By him, that is God's spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Who is it that says this word now? Not that we need to say it because we don't speak Aramaic, but we are to pray like who? Like Jesus, calling God Dad. I've had all five of my children in my scripture class over the years and every single one of them in the first couple of weeks have been really excited by the fact that their dad is a teacher in the classroom. It wears off very quickly, I can assure you. But they'd love to stick up their hand and say, Dad! That's what we do with God. We don't even need to stick up our hand. We can call God Dad. And in fact, God gives us his spirit, because this is an awkward thing to do, to convince us that that's the right thing to do. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, and so we can cry, Abba, Father. It's God and sons, this business, and this boss who's involved in the business always has his door open. You can walk right into the office and speak to him. And not to speak to him. Do you see what the word is? By him we cry. We cry, Abba, Father. You can do this about anything, about everything, including as we serve. Do you find serving frustrating, overwhelming, painful, Do people hurt you in the way that you're seeking to serve them? Would you talk to God about that? Would you tell him how you really feel? Would it be obvious in the way that you pray how you feel? Or do you hold back from doing that? What would Jesus do when he was frustrated and overwhelmed and it hurt his servant? What would Jesus do? He would cry out to his dad. And we get to do the same. God is surely the world's greatest dad and he's adopted us as his sons. And so we want to serve him because we love him and we're members of his family. And we serve as sons in this family business and we get to talk to our father about it. What a wonderful privilege. It's so wonderful, don't you think, 
that's serving our heavenly Father must just be a great joy all the time. It must be delightful all the time because he is so good and his family business is so good. And so doesn't it seem weird to you that it says we cry? Abba, Father? Doesn't it seem weird to you that in verse 17 it talks about our sufferings? Why is that? Because we are heirs, it says. Do you notice that? We are heirs because we are sons, so we inherit, yes. But an heir is yet to inherit. There's a future yet to come. And so as we delight in, as we celebrate, as we rejoice in this this heavenly Father, this relationship we have with him and the privilege of serving him, we know that here and now serving is going to be difficult and painful and frustrating and we get to cry out to him, but that doesn't fix it. But if you are an heir, what is to come? Well, this week I came across a verse right at the end of the Bible about serving. And it is an extraordinary verse. Do you think you'll be serving in heaven? Well, at the end of the Bible, there's a city. And this verse is about serving in the city. Have a listen. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will serve him. They will see his face and they will reign forever and ever. What are we looking forward to with our Heavenly Father? Putting our feet up on the end of Father's Day and just enjoying sitting and resting with him? No. Because he's such a good Heavenly Father, serving him is so good. We look forward to the curse being gone and serving is not frustrating and overwhelming and painful but we look forward to serving him forever. And so we serve him now, talking to him now about it, but looking forward with great joy to serving our heavenly Father forever. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, we praise you for you truly are the world's greatest dad, the real dad, the loving dad. And Father, we thank you for the great privilege that you adopt us so that we are like Jesus before you, so that we can relate to you like Jesus. Father, we do want to serve you because you're such a good heavenly Father and we want to serve our brothers and sisters as our brothers and sisters. Please remind us of these things so that we want to serve. And Father, we pray that we would serve as if it's a privilege to be in your family business, crying out to you in our frustrations from time to time. And Father, we thank you for this glorious hope that serving will one day be perfect and we will get to serve you forever. We pray this in Jesus' name.